You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Week 17 of the NFL season and COVID still having a huge impact on games and playoff possibilities. So, you know, stand by. Nothing is what it seems. We lost a football and American icon uh, just yesterday as we record here on Wednesday. We got Alex's fantasy update. So we got some stuff going on there. We got playoffs, got a couple of guests Alex, John Madden. I'm old school, Lou, and, you know, I'll always remember John Madden and Pat Summerall in the booth together because they were such good friends. They always had a good time, and John Madden was such a lovable guy in terms of what he brought, you know, the spirit, talking about the games. Before, you know, there was Tony Romo and these new generation of analysts out there. John Madden was a guy that I always just loved to watch. And whether he was in a booth with Summerall or Al Michaels, it was a hell of a lot of fun. And don't forget, a lot of people don't remember this, and this was before my time, he was a great coach. I mean, he's still the winningest coach of all time in terms of his winning percentage. That was back in the 70s. He was 32 years old when he took over the Raiders head coaching job. It's amazing. He burned out. He left. He went to the booth. I had a blast, you know, listening to this guy for like 20-some years that, you know, I watched football. And then we all have to remember that he had a big impact on the young generation. All those people playing video games out there, playing Madden, because this is what you did with your friends, with your brothers. He's leaving a hell of a legacy out there as a coach, as a broadcaster, and as a guy that paved the way for Madden football. Well, I go back even farther, I guess. I mean, as the, the brash young coach, I don't actually remember when he was hired, but being a Chiefs fan, you know, playing against the Raiders, I mean, it was always, again, I guess my earliest experience was what I couldn't stand the dude. His short sleeve shirts with the tie looked like he had just gotten out of bed, constantly working the sideline, you know, working the officials. He'd wear that credential on his belt, the the tag that basically identified him as being okay to be on the sideline, like nobody knew he was the head coach. So early on, team full of characters, but they were great teams. There were the, the mystique of the Raiders. You mentioned him being 32 years old. I mean, obviously, John Gruden wasn't the youngest guy that Al Davis hired. I mean, he had done this before, identifying John Madden as a rising star on his staff. And just as time like started to go by and he became an announcer, then I did a complete 180. I mean, completely fell in love with the guy. You know, you mentioned he and Summerall, just the perfect blend Kind of, the, you know, the soundtrack of my football fandom kind of moving forward from the, I guess, early 80s through, you know, the time he took off the headset, I suppose. But Summerall was so understated, right? And he was so just the 
very soft voice and he was the perfect guy that he just didn't talk much. He just kind of got out of the way of the game and Madden was just like this larger than life guy and boom and all the all these he's making sound effects. He was really the first color guy that I can remember that taught you football. And I don't know that people were really realizing it at the time. You know, I think he was one of the first guys that they had the, the, the Telestrator, and then I think they renamed it. But just watching the game, you could actually learn what was happening. It wasn't just a bunch of guys smashing into each other and, event, you know, every so often there'd be some big plays. And he would just really describe it. He's such a great communicator, right? And that's probably the part that, you know, most people, that's what they'll miss, right? Really, again, the first color guy to teach football, the turducken, okay? <laughs> Thanksgiving. Who knew what the heck a turducken was? I mean, I think he made it up. No one had more fun than John Madden doing a football game. And, he, and I think it came through. Maybe as many people loved him, maybe that is that many people like hated him or resented him. But I think it was more so just, he was so good that he, you're go, always going to have haters. A true icon, really moved the game forward. I mean, you again, it's, I mean, he said it in his special and, you know, can the history of, of what you do be told without you? And certainly there's no way you tell the story of the NFL without John Madden. So rest in peace. Just the most authentic guy would say what he meant, meant what he said, and just, he'll be missed across the league, across America. And like you said, all ages from people my age and a little bit older to you know younger generations that play the video games so again even though he's a raider i still love the guy just sad to hear what a life the guy had what a life fantasy football alex what do you got how'd you do so i had two teams in the semifinals and one of them won one of them lost i'm still scratching my head over the team that lost because matthew stafford laid an egg for me he was my starting quarterback he threw three picks he didn't even earn 10 points 10 fantasy points Travis Kelsey was out because of COVID and I know that Kelsey would have given me 10 I mean easily because his replacement was Dallas Goddard he only gave me four points Alvin Kamara Sanders you know everybody came up short on this fantasy team but you know the guy that I had on the bench that came through is Damian Harris Damian Harris, Mr. Underachiever the entire season. I decided to leave him on the bench because I started Sanders, Kamara, uh, and my flex was Marquise Brown. Well, Damian Harris had 28 points. 28 points. That would have put me over the top. Him and Kelsey would have gotten me into the championship game. So I'm a glass half full type of guy. Yeah, I realize that I'm in the championship game in one of my fantasy leagues, but I so like believe that I should have been in the championship game with my second team as well, just because of these factors. But let's talk about the positives. The team that just dominated in the semifinal. My final total tally of points in the semifinal game was 167 points. 167 points. I could have gotten more. Because I started Matthew Stafford again. I mean, I'm a stubborn man. I thought Stafford was going to be on a roll. Again, he only gave me nine points. Josh Allen was left on the bench because I realized that he was playing against the Patriots. And I thought, hmm, 
He's not going to give me, like, I'm sure he's going to throw a, a few picks against Bill Belichick defense. Josh Allen had nearly 31 fantasy points. If my other guys didn't come through for me, the Josh Allen swap for Matthew Stafford is really a questionable one. And Damian Harris was once again on the bench for me with 28 points on this fantasy team. So I could have gotten like nearly 200 points if Josh Allen and Damian Harris played. But T. Higgins gave me 37 fantasy points. Joe Mixon gave me 28. Nick Chubb gave me 25. Dalton Schultz gave me 18. And Ronald Jones gave me 15. And I can't forget the Dallas Cowboys defense because the Dallas Cowboys defense came through with 24 points. So I'm in the championship, low, but I feel like if I would have made even better moves, I could have, like, hit the all-time high here for, you know, the fantasy season. I could have been nearly 200 points. And with my second fantasy team, I feel like I should have been in the championship game as well. So the 12-year-olds that are playing for the rest of your league, the team owners, did they take this well? Well, nobody is giving me crap. I mean, I don't know, you know, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds. I know that I'm in the championship game, and I'm not favored this week, by the way. Even though I, really? I put Josh Allen there as my quarterback to be. Yeah. The original projection is, I think, I'm an underdog by about five points, but... I hope T. Higgins comes through with another big game against your Chiefs, scores a couple of touchdowns, and I think I'm taking home the trophy. Well, the Bengals, they put 82 points in two games on the Ravens, and I don't know you call it a JV squad or whatever you want to call it. Wow, they did some serious damage this week against the Ravens. All right, let's go to our first guest. He's a wide receiver for the Kansas Jayhawks, calls Chandler, Arizona is home, number eight. Kwame Lassiter II. Kwame, welcome to Pros Like Us. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. All right. Rumor has it you're in Hawaii right now. Uh, how's that going? It's great. The weather's good. We really, I have no complaints. We did a lot of uh, excursions the last few days. Just enjoying ourselves before it gets real, really. Well, as far as football is concerned, you've improved every season over the last three in receptions yards and touchdowns are you still scratching the surface of what you can be yeah i say i had a good season but i haven't been anywhere that i want to be yet still learning a lot about the game i think that's going to help me in the, in the next few years i'm still learning about the game uh the people around me going to help me learn about the game route running defenses and things along, along that line so I, I feel like i'm nowhere near where i'm supposed to be yet what would you say, at least over these three years, what have been the biggest factors in improving? Uh, that come with training and studying the things that you don't see on the field that we're working on in the in the weight room or in the, the film room. So things along them lines. Is there something specific that you can point to, whether it be in the film room, something you're picking up on that maybe you weren't aware of? Yeah, I had a film room. I learned a little bit more about defense and a lot about the corners that I was going against. The more studying, the more the game slowed down for you, and that's how I look at it. Kwame, who was the toughest defense in the Big 12? Was it the Sooners, the Longhorns, or the Oklahoma State Cowboys? I mean, they had a pretty good defense this year. So who was the toughest one for you? I think the toughest one that we've seen was the Cowboys, Oklahoma State, and they're a good unit. There were a lot of first-team players on that team. They pursued to the ball well from the D-line to the back end. Good-sized corners, good-sized safeties. That's what you want in the defense. And 
of course, I did my studying against them, or we all did our studying against them. So, I don't know. They play good all season, and I give them props for that. What would you say is your biggest strength as a wideout? What's your best trait? I think my best trait would be uh, route running and how I slow the game down. Like I said, studying before, slow the game down and uh, find holes in the defense. Know the, what the defense is in before the play. And with that, come it make it easier to run routes and catch the ball. Now, as I guess our listeners may or may not know, your dad, namesake, Kwame Lasseter, was a defensive back in the NFL. What was it like having your dad as having played in the NFL? Um, it was cool. It was special. But when I was a kid, I wasn't really focused on that. Or I, I understood, but I didn't really know too much. I just knew we were always around the stadium or always at a facility or traveling a lot to go see him play. But I wouldn't say that's the reason I play. I play because I, I truthfully love the game. That's where it brings me peace and it keeps me going, honestly. But having my dad play football, it helped a lot. And I learned a lot through him. So when did you start playing, and do you do you recall anything specific that really made you love the game? I don't know. I just love the energy at football games, and I, I could say is why I love the game, but that's not the truth. But I started playing tackle football in seventh grade, so I kind of started late. My dad didn't let me play tackle football as a younger kid, which I understand now. But as a kid, I just kept wanting to put on the pads. But now that I'm older, I, I completely understand. So do you remember anything from, what, middle school or high school, anything in particular that really stands out, whether it be a lesson or a play or a particular game? One lesson I did learn was not even – it didn't even come from running routes and catching football. I I didn't block good one game when I was in high school, and I I had to hear from my dad when I got home. And I always learned that you can't play, you can't block. From then on, I I took pride in blocking, and that's something I improved on these last few years. Or really since then, but I've truthfully improved on it these last few years. And something I take pride in it is like having a running back break because you had a good block is a good feeling. Dad passed away a few years ago. So, again, sorry for your loss. I know it's been a couple of years, but that's that's a tough one. What do you remember most about your dad? I remember it, it's not even about football, but I, I just remember how he always kept it real with me and my little brothers. He, he would never sugarcoat anything. It didn't matter how we felt about it after and during the time, you do not want to hear that. It, it might make you mad. It might hurt your feelings a little bit, but it was the truth. I learned to have thick skin through that, and, and that, that helps with coaches. When coaches get on you and you just know that they're trying to make you better and they, they really care for you because when the coach stops coaching you, he just don't care anymore. I learned a lot through him. Okay. Is there anything in particular, a phrase or something that he would use on a regular basis that you can still kind of hear sometimes when you're working out or playing in a game? Yeah, he, he used to tell me and my little brother be the best, and we just stuck with that since we were kids. We we still say to this day, we we write it on things. One of my little brothers got it tattooed on him. It's something that, it's BTV, so it stuck with us forever. Well, those are great words to lean on no matter what you're doing, yeah. uh, whether it be the yeah, classroom, on the field, or anything, right? Now, you decided to walk on at his alma mater. He went to Kansas as well. What went into that decision? Coming out of high school, I had little to no offers. I uh, sent in a lot of emails to coaches, and KU really, they was one of the few that answered. And Coach Beatty and his staff let me come out to the spring game, watch the spring game. And uh, once I got there, they, they gave me the opportunity to walk on. And right then, I knew I just what I wanted to do. And I feel like that was the best decision for me, truthfully. 
Your dad played safety in the NFL. You've played wide receiver here at Kansas. I would assume in high school you played both ways, but how did you become a wide receiver? I wasn't really a fan of safety. I only played it for one or two years of my high school, but the rest of it I played receiver. I don't know. I just like catching footballs more than making tackles, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I, him playing defense really did help me on offense because I learned so much. I learned tendencies of uh, DBs, the techniques that they use, and I had a little plus plan receiver knowing so much about DBs. So you like getting hit instead of delivering the hit? Uh, I wouldn't. I don't like getting hit either, so I try to make the play so I don't got to get hit. <laughs> so you try to run away from the hit. I get it. Score a touchdown on every play. Run into the end zone, yeah. You know, I noticed that you have a huge family, and you talked about this. I mean, you have five brothers and two sisters. What is it like being part of such a big family? It's great. We we, we are tight. We, we ride for each other no matter what, of course, but you learn so much having a big family. It's special in my opinion, and I love them. I do anything for them. Just any opportunity that I get to be with them is just it's a blessing in my eyes. Are you the oldest in the family? I'm right in the middle. So KU has always been known as a basketball school, and I'm sure I'm not the first and won't be the last to mention this to you. But how does that manifest itself on campus? Well, you see the loyalty that the fans have of see that it's always a good energy in that or in that arena and it's always fun when you go watch one of them games. So that's something that the team would always want to bring to the field. You try to manifest it, but since I've been there, it didn't always go the way we planned. But we we faced a lot of adversity, and I like where it's headed now. That's what I say. I like where the University of Kansas is headed now in the football program. I mean, obviously, the basketball teams won national championships. The history is there and all that in Fog Allen Fieldhouse. And like you mentioned, yeah, it's a great place. But now does the football team, do you feel like you're like the little brother on campus? Does it? Do you guys have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder? Nah, personally, I don't look at it like that. For me, I just go out and play football and do the best that I can to help the team win. I don't look at as no big brother to me. I, I know some of the players on the team, so it's never a disrespect thing. I, it's, we respect each other, athletes. I know that the work that they put in, they know the work I put in, but of course the outcomes are different, but I feel like, yeah, the football team wants to have some of the success, which I, I see coming, but now nah, I don't look at it as no big brother, little brother. As you look back on your career as a Jayhawk, what's your biggest memory? Maybe it's a team win, a personal record. Maybe it's your best game. What stands out to you? Outside of like in-house football things, my biggest thing was my family coming to my most of my games. I love having them in attendance at games, even away games. So that was something for me getting to see the family at the games. They were at the Texas game this last year. Um, they went to the Duke game, and it, it's just good to see family at the game for me. And it's, you realize what you're playing for. So that was a big win for you guys this year at Texas overtime, 57-56. Just a crazy game. But it seems like you guys have always played Texas tough, you know, while you've been there. What do you remember most about the game? And is there something about Texas that brings out the, the fight? <laughs> nah, I feel like that was just a great environment. Like I said, my family was in attendance. It was a great environment. We came off the K-State game, and we didn't like how we played. So it was a, it was a really a long week of practice. 
we was really competing all we could practice. We knew once we got there, we wanted to shock the world. I feel like that game was it was special. It showed that the team could fight through adversity, and it showed that uh, like we just never gave up, really. Okay, so Coach Leopold comes from uh, University of Buffalo. How instrumental was his vision for the program to convince you to come back for that extra year that was offered? Well, first, I appreciate him giving me the opportunity to come back. Uh, he didn't, that's something he didn't have to do, but him giving me the opportunity was uh, a blessing in my eyes. And uh, for that, I, I can't appreciate him enough. And his vision for the team and what he's got going is, it will never change, and I love it about him. He he got his script that he's been using since he was winning national championships at uh, uh, Whitewater, and he it's the same thing he's doing now. He will never switch up, and that's what I like about him. But another thing that helped me stay was uh, my receiver coach, Coach Jones. He uh, he took care of me. That's somebody I look at as a mentor, too. So in terms of that script that he has, outside of that, what's it going to take for Kansas to become a winning program, you think? Uh, just get guys that want to play for the university and play for each other and, and fight as a team. Don't worry about none of the any of the outside noise. The social media is good, of course, now with the NIL and stuff. But don't worry about what anybody's saying on the social media. Just and just go to practice, go to workouts, and handle business. And once you handle business, everybody will see what's going on in between them lines when the time comes. Well, it's time to get Kansas on top as a football program. You know, Oklahoma lost their coach to USC, so. Yeah, they're probably going to take a step back a little bit. So I think there's an opportunity there in the Big 12, knowing that a few more schools are going to leave in a couple of years. You mentioned Coach Jones, Emmett Jones, your wide receiver coach. What have you learned from him? What are a couple of lessons that he has uh, given to you and and passed along? Uh, I learned a lot from him. He's a great guy. Like I said, he's a mentor to me. He's somebody I can call on if I ever needed it. He he just taught me a lot. He taught me a lot about the game, but something he really preached to me about was just bless the game. That was the saying that he said, bless the game, and the game the game will bless you. And that's on the field, off the field, in the weight room. And that's something I, I stuck with. And you can't cheat the game. You can't skip reps because your blessings won't come at the end. And you can't go a yard short in, on a route, or you're going to do that in the game. Things along those lines, and that's why I say he's a mentor to me because it's always deeper than football with him. You mentioned that you really love the game. How important is it for you to make it in the NFL and follow in, in your dad's footsteps? Oh, it's very important to me. I don't want to just I don't want to just make it to the NFL. I want to be successful in the NFL and, and do what I plan to do. And like you said earlier, did I scratch the surface yet? That's why I say I feel like I haven't because I haven't done anything yet that I've planned to do or that I feel like I will be doing soon. So I'm excited for my future. I'm, I'm excited for these next few months, and I'm just ready. Kwame, have you decided where you're going to be training for the NFL draft? Have you picked out a training facility? Have you signed with an agent? Yes, I uh, I have picked my training facility. I'll be training in Fort Myers, Florida, and with uh, his name is Jordan Lou Allen at X3 Perform. And uh, I feel like that was a, a good decision for me. He hit me up a little minute ago, and we stayed in touch. And me having him give me the opportunity to go train with him, it's a blessing in my eyes, and I appreciate him for that. And no, I have not signed with an agent yet. I'm just waiting that process out, seeing about the process, enjoying the process, but not something I want to rush. So I have not signed with an agent yet. And I heard somewhere that you're going to be playing in the Hula Bowl. Usually the Hula Bowl is held in Hawaii, but 
this year it's going to be in in Florida. So you're going to be playing in that, right? Yes, I am. I'm excited. I'm cool with going to Florida too. <laughs> you can't beat the weather in Hawaii or Florida in in January and February. That's the place where I would want to be. You can't. Be. You're right. This is the time of the show where you can plug uh, your social media handles and anything else that you have going on. So go ahead. The floor is yours. First of all, shout out to them Jayhawks. We, we got to talk a lot about them. I'm excited for their future and what they got going on over there. I got a little brother still playing there, so I'm excited for what he got going. I'm excited to see him do what he, what he came there to do. But yeah, my Twitter is uh, Kwame, K-W-A-M-I-E underscore Lassiter. And then my uh, Instagram is KJ underscore Lassiter 8. Enjoy the rest of your vacation and, and good luck to you. Yeah, thank you all for having me. All right, so thanks again to Kwame Lassiter the second Coming up, the playoffs. Playoffs? Yes, we're going to talk about playoffs, even though it's it kind of a jumbled mess again in the AFC. There's so many teams that are in contention. And the NFC, I think there's really only two spots available. You got in the NFC, the Niners and the Eagles holding down the 6-7 and seven slot. But uh, right there, ready to pounce, if you would, Maybe, but I don't really see it happening. The Vikings, they play the Packers this week. Atlanta has Buffalo. The Saints are done. I don't, you know, it's just, that's not happening. That They're just decimated, you know, really. That game Monday night, I guess we could have a whole show on uh, how horrible that was. Oh, my goodness. You know, they've got a practice squad team out there. Ian Book starting his first game. You can't evaluate that. But anyway, I see the Niners and the Eagles probably holding down those spots. But the AFC, I mean, it's just, you know, every single game these last these last two weeks is going to be huge. You know, the Chargers are now on the outside looking in. They look like they were in the driver's seat, you know, perhaps for the top wildcard spot. And now they, they may not get in. The Raiders still have a chance. They have the Colts this week. Sam Ellinger, I think, is going to be the starter. Perhaps, I don't know, the new protocols. We just don't know. So that, that's the most difficult thing. I don't know, Alex. I mean, do, do you have a favorite? I mean, do you see a team here that's going to come up from those on the bubble or uh, in the hunt or whatever cliche you want to use. Let's just give it to the Miami Dolphins, Lode, just because it's an incredible story. I mean, they've won seven straight games, but to start the season, they lost seven straight games. If you're a betting man, if you decided to put the money on the Miami Dolphins somewhere halfway through the NFL season, you're going to be one rich man, even if you put like 100 bucks for the Dolphins to make the playoffs. I mean, you're one lucky son of a gun because who would have thought this? I mean, the Dolphins, I mean, say what you want. They played against the Saints. They played against Ian Book, but that defense just dominated. I mean, they sacked Book eight times. They did. but They intercepted him twice. Look, the Dolphins, this isn't about (laughs) the Saints and Ian Book. The Dolphins' defense, what I'm trying to drive to is the the Dolphins' defense has been incredible the last couple of months of the season. This isn't about Tua. This isn't even about Jalen Waddell, even though he has really turned up his game over like the past maybe six or seven weeks of the season. This is about that defense. So I'm always going to go with the team that's dominating on defense. I'll be the glass half empty guy here just to kind of balance things out. So in their streak, they beat Houston, Baltimore. Yeah, that was you know that was a Thursday night game, and they dominated that game. And Baltimore had a chance, but you know whatever, they beat them at the Jets. 
Carolina, the Giants, the Jets again, and a decimated New Orleans team. So now again, seven in a row is seven in a row. You only play the team in front of you, 1-0 every week. That's what you preach. Great. All right, so now they go to Tennessee, and they finish with New England at home, which New England will struggle at Miami, and they have historically, even with Tom Brady. They're going to Tennessee. I don't know. Was it enough that they kind of found themselves in the second half of the San Francisco game last week? A.J. Brown was back, so obviously they had a threat on the outside and working the middle of the field as well. But that's going to be a tough go. If Miami can win that game, my goodness, then yeah, I think I, I'm a believer. There's not a lot of explosive plays. They have to play a near-perfect game, but I do agree with you. The defense, those defensive backs clamp down. The pass rush, Emmanuel Ogba, kind of, I, I lamented the fact that the Chiefs kind of let him go after having such a great year. And he still shows up. I mean, he's, you know, say what you will about him as a player. He can put the pass rush on. I don't know. I can't buy him yet. The Chargers, I can't seem to get them right, but I got to believe they'll get things straightened out here. They got a couple of games, you know, Denver at home and then at Las Vegas. So I think the Chargers got a, a real good shot here. I can't trust the Chargers after that beating. You know, they lost oh, to Houston. God. That was a JV team, too, they were playing against. They had almost everybody out. They had a bunch of practice squad players in there, and they and they really they whooped them. Look, the Dolphins are not a perfect team, but they have a very good defense, and so that yes. makes me think that they're going to get into the playoffs because, look, Chargers lost to Houston. Like you said, they will play against the Broncos and the Raiders. I think they go 1-1. One and one. I don't think they're going to take both of these games. The Ravens lost four straight games. They don't have Lamar Jackson. And they've got the Rams and the Steelers up next. That's not happening. And I just think the Raiders, I mean, even though they won two straight games to get to 8-7, and seven, I don't think that they'll finish the season by winning the next two. It's almost like, you know, the process by elimination for me, Lou. I'm looking at the other teams, and they have so many question marks, and they don't have cupcakes coming up. And the Dolphins don't either, but I think the Dolphins, they will win one of those two games, and they will, you know, they will get into the playoffs. Yeah, you can't beat a team that can move can move it on the ground. Efficient, obviously. Tua, you know, very efficient. Jalen Waddle's quietly having you know an amazing season. He's going to set the the rookie record for receptions here in the next two weeks. I mean, Grant, you know, knock on wood, he doesn't get hurt. Just the only thing you don't see is really the explosive plays downfield from him. And I don't think it's really him. It's just a function of that offensive line being so below average to putting it nicely and the two has got to get it out so quickly because his average per catch is way down but again he's got a bunch of touchdowns so I think they they hit on that draft pick and if they can shore up that offensive line you know again they, they kind of were moving in this direction last year at this time and that's why many of us and I think I may have picked them to to get into the playoffs I did um, as well but you know, here we are. So let's see what happens. Tennessee, obviously, it starts there before you can even get to New England. But Las Vegas at the Colts with possibly or probably no Carson Wentz. Bill's got the Falcons. Huge game. Bengals, Chiefs. Huge. Chiefs have no margin for error here because they don't have the tiebreaker against the Titans. So if the Titans win the game and the Chiefs lose, they're out of the first spot 
and is going to be hard pressed to get back into the first spot. So that's a huge game. If uh, Lou started to talk about the Chiefs, I have to spend a couple of minutes talking about the 49ers. So oh, NFC, well, I mean, it's, it's a Chiefs show every week. I mean, I have to talk Chiefs about Chiefs like us. We might as well rename the podcast. We've I got, voted for that. Well, we might as well just get Adam Teicher on every week or something like that, and you guys can talk about it. I'll get out of the way. I mean, I'm, I don't even have to be here for you guys to continue. In the NFC, you've got the Packers, the Cowboys, the Rams, the Bucks, the Cardinals, and then you've got the 49ers and the Eagles. Well, the 49ers are sitting at 8-7, and seven, and they've got Houston. That's the game up next. Garoppolo has an injury to his thumb. And it's a serious one. Drew Brees missed, I think, five weeks with this injury. So Trey Lance is going to start. I know it's against Houston, but my God, I mean, Kyle Shanahan is going to be super conservative just running the ball against the Houston Texans defense. I don't know if I trust Trey Lance here. He hasn't taken a snap in forever. And they can talk about all they want about scout team and how he has improved and how he's gotten better with his decision making, his accuracy. The last two games of the season, in order for the 49ers to get into the playoffs, I'll see it when I see it, but I'm not sure I can trust the rookie quarterback here. Who do they have? They've got... They've got Houston. You mentioned Houston, then they're at the Rams. They've always played them tough, and it seems like Shanahan has his better games when he's going against McVay, so it is the Texans, and it's at home you got to let him play. I mean, there's one, it's the injury piece of it. How can you let Jimmy go out there and play? I mean, yeah, I mean, they'll let him throw like five passes and maybe they, they just run the ball down their throats. But what does that say about Trey Lance? Let him play. You kept him as your backup. Get him out there. I mean, he's not, I don't think he was horrible in the opportunities that he did have. I mean, it wasn't like otherworldly or crazy good, but it wasn't terrible either. So he's got to get experience some way in here. This is, I don't want to say an excuse, but kind of, you know, a reason to get him in. Let's go Niners. I'm all, I'm all about the Niners. I'm all about Trey Lance this week and maybe moving forward for uh, my Super Bowl prediction. But uh, yeah, that's beside the point. All right, we've got another guest. He's a defensive lineman for Texas Southern Tigers. Pride of Arlington, Texas, number one, Michael Badajo. Michael, welcome to Pros Like Us. I appreciate you for having me. All right. Well, it's the Christmas season. Everybody's, uh, well, not everybody, but, you know, a lot of guys are getting a chance to, to go home. How was your Christmas, Michael? Man, my Christmas was amazing. I had an opportunity to go home, you know, kick with my family, everybody under the same roof. You know, times like that, it's not always easy to get everybody under the same roof. So I had an opportunity to do that with my family. So it was good. There's always good, but then sometimes, you know, there might be a couple members that rub each other the wrong way. Any funny mm-hmm. or unusual moments? <laughs> I mean, it's always, we always have them funny times, good times. You know, we bring up like past history stuff, laugh about it. You know, it probably wasn't funny then, but now it's funny, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, hear, I heard that, yeah. A lot of stuff wasn't so funny back in the day, but here we are. How and when did your football journey uh, begin? Uh, I was like four years old. So I started the MPW playing street ball. Uh, it was like a coach that picked me up in the street, basically, and seen my talent, man, and I kind of just went off from there. Well, go ahead and shout him out. Let's yeah. name this guy. He got you going. Yeah, Coach Dunning, man. Coach Dunning, that's my guy. All right, let's continue that journey. Um, Obviously, you've stayed 
local, you stayed in Texas, you went to SMU coming out of high school. Why did you uh, choose the Mustangs? I think my biggest thing was going to SMU was because you know, it was just down the street from my high school, just from where I was living. So I wanted my people to attend the game. I wanted them to attend every, every single game, you know. I didn't want them just coming to one or two. I wanted them to attend all of them, you know. So that was my biggest thing. All right, very cool. Did they get a chance to attend some of your games early on? Oh, yeah. They attended every single one, man. Like, they didn't miss a beat. Michael, what eventually led to your transfer uh, to Texas Southern? You know, at the end of the day, it was just what was best for me at the end of the day. You know, I had made, you know, great coaching staff, you know, great teammates there. I built, like, amazing relationships, you know. I did what's best for me. It led me to Texas Southern, you know, meeting a new great coaching staff and players. And I kind of just went off from there, you know. What made you fall in love with that coaching staff, with that place? I mean, what drew you to them? I think my biggest thing was I had, like, former teammates from high school that I was playing with, and they was already over there. So when I first entered the transfer portal, uh, you know, I kind of contacted them first because I was still close with them while I was at SMU. I didn't know they was at TSU, you know. Uh, I just wanted to see where they was at, call them about it, and kind of just went from there. All right, Michael. Now, unfortunately, it's Texas Southern. Uh, you guys didn't win many games, brass tacks. You just didn't win very many games. But this year, you did, you know, improve to a three and eight record. All the while, when you know you're going through seasons with no wins, one win, you know, whatever. How did you keep the faith? What 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 allowed you to continue to work? Energy. I think my biggest thing with the team, you know, I was nominated by my coaches and my teammates to be a team captain. For three seasons, I was there at, uh, at Texas Southern. And I think the biggest thing was just maintaining energy, bringing the same energy to practice, you know, to the film room, just period. And, you know, there's a thing we always do after we get done stretch, we come to the middle, and I'll bring the energy. I'll just, you know, I'll just start dancing, you know, getting everybody crunk, getting everybody wild. And it, it doesn't matter. We could have we lost last week. I'm going to still bring the same energy, you know, because it's a new week. That was my thing, just bringing the energy and being consistent. So I think along those lines, Coach McKinney, I think in an article or an interview, described you as heart and soul of the team. When he says that, not just the, your teammates, but your, your head coach says that, what does that mean to you? It means a lot for him to pick me, you know, out of anybody on the team. He chose me, you know. I think it's just because I was being very consistent with what I do, you know, and it's not easy. That's a very hard task to do. But, you know, he's seeing light in me. And I didn't want to let him down, so I had to make him proud. You guys are, are, are not in an easy conference. Pretty decent lead on Alabama A&M in the fourth quarter. We've had Aquil Glass on the show. Let me spit it out. Aquil Glass, <laughs> the quarterback from Alabama A&M. And he's getting a little hype you know, as we you know, start approaching draft season. Was he the best quarterback you faced? And I guess even if he isn't, what makes him special? Yeah, definitely. That guy that guy is definitely special. Like, like I said, we've seen he got like preseason, I think like offensive player of the year or something like that. And he still ended up getting it like that guy deserves that, you know. I think game prepping him was definitely different from every other team just because of what he does. Can't just think this guy just gonna throw the ball. This guy runs the ball as well. He throws down the field really good. And when it's open, it's open hole, he's going to run it too. So we have to be cautious with defense alignment. We have to maintain our gaps and not just do any speed rush where it open lanes and he runs. That was our biggest thing. But, yeah, definitely, that guy's a baller. 
All right, let's talk about an all-star game that you participated in in the middle of December, which was very recent. It's an all-star game in Daytona mm-hmm. Beach, Florida, called the FCS Bowl, for anyone that doesn't know. What did you take away the most from that experience? I mean, I got to say that the coach staff out there, especially for me, the D-line coaching, well, like they work a lot on fundamentals and mechanics, like stuff like that, like players like us, we need to, to showcase, you know, cause we, have, we got scouts out there. So, of course, you know, me, I want to show. But the stuff they was giving us for, like, one-on-ones and stuff, it's just crazy. Like, doing those moves they, they tell you to do against, like, an offensive lineman with scouts out there, it's just an exciting feeling just to win it, too. And you go back and you and you jumping with this guy, you know. You just met this guy. It's been three days. And you already acting like your best friend, you know. And then the other thing, too, with the players out there, like, it's just a different kind of hunger out there. Like, my TSU teammates, like, they're hungry. But, you know, guys I just met up here, it's only been three days. This could be their last opportunity to showcase. And they were hungry. Like, that's the type of people I want to be around. Speaking of the one-on-ones, I saw that the D-line dominated the O-line from your team. <laughs> Definitely, man. We was going crazy. We was going crazy. We wanted it bad. Have you ever been on a team that won by more than 50 points? Oh, yeah. Definitely. The TSU, we, we beat UAPB. It was like 50-something, something like that. Even with SMU, it was a couple games that we beat teams pretty high. But, I mean, with a feeling like that, like, that's how you know you put all that hard work, all the hard work you did, like, it, it paid off. Michael, I saw your weigh-in, and you're about 6'1", 240 pounds. I mean, are you ready to switch and be a stand-up linebacker? Is that where you see yourself in the future, in the pros? Yeah, you know, so my situation, it, it really doesn't matter to me. They, like, to be honest, wherever they put me at, you know, I'm going to give them 110% at the end of the day, you know. Some linebacker, it could be a third down package. I'm going to give you 110% just because I'm experienced in that position. So I like moving around. Even if I'm at one position, you know, when my number is called, I'm going to be ready for that. Have you had experience in your college career dropping back? Yeah, definitely. In 2019 season, I first uh, when I played at uh, Texas Southern, they moved me around, and I was at linebacker, dropping to the flats a lot in a uh, 3-4 package. And that was pretty cool because majority of the time when teams game playing me, they would think I would just, you know, be down 3.4 point and going to go rush. So, you know, I kind of like disguised a little bit being a two point, thinking I'm about to rush, but I'm dropping back for coverage. So that kind of messes up their game plan too. How do you think you improved your stock during the FCS Bowl weekend? I think I improved it a lot just because you got to realize that was an an invitational uh, showcase. So you got elite players out there already doing their thing, showing out. And, you know, during the practices, during the games, I'm making those, you know, elite plays that's going to move me up on the stock and have a scout raise their eyebrows up and write my name down. You know, so it was a great opportunity for me. What kind of feedback did you get from the scouts? A lot of explosive. They saying that I was very explosive and very hungry. Like one of the Jags said uh, when we was moving up and down the field, he was saying that uh, even though other players looked tired, you didn't look tired at all. You kept going. And I told him, like, like that's me. Like, this is what I want to do. Like, if I want something so bad, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to give it my all. Well, you did mention energy at the beginning. So I guess that's a, that's a trait that's going to follow you around. And that's a pretty good one to have. If there was one lesson that you took from that whole experience, one specific one, what would it be? Man, don't give up. Don't give up. That's the big thing. 
I seen a few players out there giving up, and I was that guy to go raise them up just because of the trait I have of just, you know, always wanting to help somebody out. That's the biggest thing with me. I'm even picking guys up because they're losing on one-on-ones. Even with the DBs and wide receivers, they're losing on one-on-ones. You know, I'm picking guys up. I don't know these guys, you know, but that's my biggest thing. Like, just don't give up. You mentioned a little bit about your positional versatility and where you prefer to play or not prefer to play or prefer to play anywhere they put you. But from a pass rushing standpoint, what would you say the biggest difference is coming from the outside or inside or hand in the dirt, standing up? Are there differences? In that position, like you're at five tag, you got a lot of space to work with. Obviously, you don't want to use too much space because obviously you're not going to get to the quarterback. So as our coach says, we got to get to the sweet meat. So I'm trying to get to sweep me. Uh, I'm not going to use up all that space at five tech. But you do have the ability with a, a smooth two-way go from C gap to the B gap with a lot of space. But, when, you know, when you're messing with a three tech, you know, obviously it's, it's crowded space, so you got to work and move quicker. With TSU season, they put me down there in interior three tech sometimes just to mess with the online just because they know I'm faster than them and I can make a quick move to go get a sack. So it was the easiest uh, still opportunity for me to do that. Was it sweet meat? Yeah, our coach says he said, go get the sweet meat. Okay, now where exactly? Is that just the quarterback, or is that a spot on the field? So sweet meat, he really he really be talking about the quarterback, but sometimes it depends, like, if it's a run, you know, whoever got the ball. But majority of the time he's talking about the quarterback, he be like, go get the sweet meat. It's pigskin, right? Yeah, okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, before the ball is snapped, Michael, take us – inside your mind i mean what are you looking for from the old lineman and what are you looking for from the quarterback and the offensive scheme in general yeah that's a good question man definitely um i think my biggest thing is you gotta look at the offensive man's eyes his hands and his stance his eyes will tell you where he's going regardless if he takes a glance at you and then looks down quick he's coming to you regardless just because he wants to see where you're at in the field his hands going to tell you if it's a lot of pressure on his hands, obviously, you know, it's a run. He's either going down or he's going to you. But if it's kind of light, okay, you know, it's a pass, right? And in his stance, the stance is probably the most easiest thing. You know, if he's kind of squared up, all right, you know, it's a run. But if it's staggered, all right, you're ready for a pass, you know? Sometimes if it's a good online, uh, offensive lineman, he can be staggered and it could be a run, you know? But you just have to know the demeanor of how his body, where his body's leaning at. He could be leaning forward to let you know, all right, I'm staggered, but it's a run. Or he's staggered and he's kind of leaning back to get a head start because he knows that you're faster than him, you know? If a defensive lineman really looks like the offensive lineman really making the game easy for us, you know? You just have to really just look. All right, so Michael Strahan was a defensive lineman that also went to Texas Southern, a proud alum. Michael, what has he meant to the program and then also what's he meant to you? To me and the program, a lot, definitely, man. This man took the time out of his day, you know, to donate us, you know, jerseys, man, shoulder pads and helmets. TSU never got a donation like that in a while. And I'm glad and blessed to get that opportunity to be there at TSU to get that, man. We also even had an opportunity to uh, have a Zoom, a team meeting Zoom call with him during that COVID season. Took the time out of his day, man. We were literally on the phone with him for an hour. You know, he was giving us just like, you know, a lot of goals that we need to reach. Go break goals at TSU, go break all that, like, big things man like it was a blessing you know just to just to hear from him like the man himself like this dude's hall of fame it's, it's just crazy like not everybody get a chance you know to hear from him was there a piece of advice or something that he said that really resonated with you 
it's crazy because it's something I always say, and I even got some T-shirts that says it, but his, his main thing that he keeps saying is that everything happens for a reason. Well, Michael Strahan still holds the single-season sack record. We'll see if it's going to be broken. Probably will be because now they're they're playing 17 games in the NFL, so somebody's going to get it. I've got my money on yeah, T.J. Yeah, Watt. Man, that's my guy, man. T.J. Watt. <laughs> that's your guy? That's my guy. Is that your favorite pass rusher right now? Man, I'm telling you, that the way that man plays, like it's just crazy. The way he moves, like he's not obviously he's not one of those big chunky guys, obviously. This dude is just explosive. No matter where where they're on the field, he's explosive. I've been studying this guy for a while. I just love the way he plays, man. I just feel like some people overlook him, but now, you know, he, he started getting crazy numbers. Everybody wanted to be a fan. Like, it's cool and all, but I've been studying this dude, like this is the type of dude before we even go play a game, I'm watching YouTube highlight on this dude. The password multi uses. He loves to use double swipe, speed of power. Like this dude is just he's just insane. People just overlook him. I read somewhere that you're a big fan of Khalil Mack. So is it Khalil Mack or TJ Watt right now? I like both of them. When I got like to the high school level, I started looking into Khalil Mack a lot and I like the way he played, you know. I think it was my freshman year. That's when I started hearing about TJ Watt, you know. I was just like, this dude is crazy. Both of them, they're just some explosive players. Like, those are guys I can see myself, like, you know, kind of similar to the way they play. I play just like that. Well, they certainly bring the energy. And again, if we've learned anything to this point, that, uh, Michael, you bring the heat. Maybe that uh, Black Panther, whether it's your favorite movie or character or whatever, but if that is the case, what similarities do you think you have between you and the Black Panther? Man, I think the biggest thing is, man, we're both Nigerian kings, man. So, you know, when people see us, they got to obey. They're going to get, this is like a, it's like a respect. Like, literally, I think the biggest thing, too, is, like, he's powerful. Like, this dude is, his agility, he's fast. Like, he he wants to stand up for his country. So, I feel like, well, my biggest thing is, I'm going to do whatever it takes to put my name out there for my city, on to Texas. I don't want to do anything that, you know, that's going to pull me back. The main, my main thing is, and I'm going to show out and remember at the end of the day that I'm doing this for my city. That's my biggest thing. I want to let it be known. All right. Obviously, you know, tragic uh, ending to, you know, Chadwick Boseman's life. He kind of embodied what you were just talking about, just as, as a person and all the things that he did for the black community, for all the roles that he took on that were of historic importance. Can you see anybody taking his place? I mean, it, will, will it be the same? Or do you think they can get somebody that might be as good? They probably can get somebody, but it's just how it is. It's a money-making thing. They, they, they're, they're definitely going to look out and try and get somebody. Um, but obviously, it's not going to be the same. People might not respect it the same way, you know? Who knows? They might not even get anybody, you know? It could just be the end of it just right there and there. It's a sad thing about it, man. Rest in peace, man, to him. But with a situation like that, I think... Me, personally, I think they might just leave it alone. Well, if they do bring somebody back, my money's on Idris Elba. I think he's great. And that, you know, I think that would be a good choice. But I think he's some other superhero in another another franchise. Michael, we we appreciate you taking the time with us. If you want to give your social media handles to let people find out how to connect with you, you can go ahead and do that now. Yeah, definitely, man. My Twitter is TheRealBatterJoe. My Instagram is my last name, Badajo, two A's and two E's. And, yeah, that's me right there. Like I said, I appreciate y'all, man, taking the time out of your day giving me this interview.
All right. Well, good luck in your preparation for the next level. And we'll be looking for you. I appreciate y'all so much. Thank you. Thank you to Michael Badajo, the defensive lineman. Sounds like a ball of energy, and we can't wait to see what he does uh, moving forward. We got picks coming up, Alex. Last week, I was able to kind of have a decent week, a pretty good week, actually. The New England pick just doubling down on my division winner prediction, like mid-season or whatever it was, or late in the season, uh, was not a good reason to pick them, and Buffalo kind of handled business. And that was the loser, the winners, uh, Houston, plus 9.5, that ended up 12.5, Indianapolis even, that ended up Arizona minus 2, and Las Vegas minus 1.5, that ended up even, those are the winners. I just mentioned those, I guess the closing number, just to show you how in flux these numbers are especially with covid and you really got to pay attention to this stuff if you're betting games in general so if early in the week you get a particular number and you get down on it always look at what the line is so if there's a big spread you got a chance to go the other way and maybe win both bets and you're only risking the edge the juice the vig whatever you want to call it that 10% that you have to pay for the loser so alex what uh i think would you had your san francisco was that your lock yeah it's amazing that i mentioned the rams i mentioned the bills and i was close to picking those two games they came through the 49ers did not against the titans it looked good in the first half they were up by like 10 to 0 and then you know jimmy g threw that pick before the half, they could have gotten it to about 13, maybe even 17. Then the Titans wouldn't have come back. I don't know how they lost that game. In the first half, the team looked really good. In the second half, I mean, the Titans came out and just A.J. Brown took over. So my 49ers did not come through this week. I'm looking for Matthew Stafford to bounce back. I already said how he hurt my fantasy teams, two of them, by the way. So I expect them to bounce back against the Ravens. The Rams are at the Ravens, minus three and a half. So I'm going to take the Los Angeles Rams in this game as my lock of the week. Bucking our little, our trend, the that West Coast team going east, early window, one o'clock. Well, not quite cross country because they went to Minnesota. I don't know. Were they staying somewhere in between or did they go back to LA and now got to fly back out? So the Rams on the road laying the three and a half. Okay, so 33 and 28 for the season right now. So I'm feeling pretty good about getting myself back in the in the swing of things here as the season's about to end, of course. Here's my four. Philadelphia minus three and a half at the football team. I don't think Booby Sanders is playing this week, but again, it seems like, they, I mean, they were able obviously to roll in the second half without him. Not that he's a huge part of their game, but when he does play and does touch the ball, it seems like he's five, six yards of carry every week. But Jalen Hurts, say what you will about him. I just like the guy. Again, he was on my one of my fantasy teams. I really liked him, but and it is more so for the rushing part of things. They've kind of identified who they are, in the second half of the season, this is how we're going to play. We're going to lean into this offensive line. Now, I've been a, a football team apologist all season. For some reason, fell in love with them last year because of the defense. That game they played against Dallas was, I don't know how Ron Rivera stayed in his skin watching his team kind of implode in front of him, give up, if you would. And they were That was just awful. But anyway... 
that would tell you that maybe you go with them this week. No, uh-uh. Philadelphia's rolling. They're going to keep rolling. I'm going to take Tennessee at home minus a three and a half against the Dolphins. Again, I need to see them prove it on the road against a quality opponent. I'm going to stick with the Chargers. Went against them last week. This is more of an anti-Drew Locke pick. I'm going for two weeks in a row with that theory. So I'm going to take the Chargers minus five and a half. And then lastly, the ugly game of the week, which is an automatic play for me, is the Steelers as a home underdog. As bad as they looked in Kansas City, as bad as they looked against Tennessee, somehow, someway, the Browns will mess this up. Pittsburgh plus three at home. That's the four. I really don't like anybody this week. Didn't like anybody last week, but those are the picks. Well, you still went three and one last week, so three and, and one. Yeah, yeah just we'll take keep it up, as they say. I wanted to give a quick shout out to Cooper Cup, uh, the former Eastern Washington alum. Uh, he has 132 catches right now, which is 17 receptions short of Michael Thomas's career receptions record of 149 on the season. And he also has 1,734 receiving yards, which is 230 yards short of the single season record held by the great Calvin Johnson, who uh, had 1,964 yards. Breaking both of those records would be extraordinary, even in a 17-game season, and I think he can do it. So Cooper Cup, I think one of the most underappreciated wide receivers in the league, but this year with Stafford being his quarterback, he just broke out. And obviously Robert Woods got injured, and there's just a lot more targets going his way. And he's been, you know, not only a slot receiver this year, he's been playing on the outside. So I hope Cooper Cup breaks both of those records. Well, I think maybe if he does, that he'll finally get his due from the casual fan. And I think the people that really know the game and watch the game know that, you know, he's just a great player. You know, no matter where you put him, he's going to do something that helps you win. So inside, outside, blocking, whatever it is. I mean, in the, in the Rams offense, the wide receivers are really counted on to make a lot of big blocks. And he does, as well as Robert Woods. Can't speak so much to OBJ yet, but hey, let's give him a chance. He's only been there a month. And I think where it goes to, and you hate to say this, people that look at him and bury him or want to pigeonhole him into that, well, he's like a Wes Welker or a Hunter Renfro. Basically, that's code for a white guy playing wide receiver. No way can he beat the faster defensive backs. No way can he go across the middle and you know out-muscle people for the ball. No way is he that type of player. And if you watch him play, you know he's every bit that player and every bit as good as the other guys. So uh, I think when our top five list comes out next year, uh, he's probably going to be on it if he wasn't already this year. So that's going to do it for us this week. We thank you for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. For Alex, I'm Lou. Happy New Year and peace!